Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. Hello, lovely. Welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and I cannot wait to get stuck into today's episode. But before we do, I want to give a quick shout out to username doey 86 who left me a five-star rating and beautiful comment over on Apple iTunes and the podcast app. The review says, insightful. Not just for women, a great listen to help men better understand these issues, which are taboo to ask. These podcasts assist men with being able to support their partners during these hard times. One point which is consistent throughout the podcast is listen to her. Don't give her your solution. Something I have been guilty of thinking that that's what I'm supposed to do. What an amazing comment. I am so touched by this one, particularly because a lot of the listeners that that will be on today are probably women. So to know that men are benefiting from it as well absolutely means the world to me. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave your comment. If you want to do the same, you can do so on the podcast app, leaving a five-star review and a comment if you enjoy what you're listening to so that you can let other users know what they're in for. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the subscribe button. It's absolutely free to do, but it makes sure that you don't miss a thing. Now for today's episode, we have... Oh, such a robust conversation coming up. Today's guest talks all about anxiety, mental health, HG during pregnancy, elective C-sections, body image, and everything in between. I cannot wait for you to have a listen. So how about we just get stuck into it? Today's guest is an entrepreneur, a mama of two, a personal trainer, and an advocate for mental health and body positivity. Welcome to the amazing Brittany Noonan. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we are currently sitting in your kitchen slash dining area while there's lots of um, men running around your house. Actually, that, that sounds so great. <laughs> Just Let's to clear that up. We're, having, we're doing renovations on my house. I don't just have men running around my house. <laughs> the, the men are fully clothed and they are here for a purpose. <laughs> um, so we just had some swearing going on in the background. Uh, so if you hear that, apologies. It's completely fine though. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you having me and um, having a chat today. Now, you have over 100,000 Instagram followers and you're a self-described introvert. So there's so much we can talk about today, but I want to touch on that. Tell me about what that looks like. <laughs> I think I've always been very introverted. Um, I think it probably comes back to my anxiety. And as a child, I think that you call that being shy. And so as you grow up, everyone describes you as being shy. So that's just what you do. You are uh, 
you like being alone and you always hide behind your mum's knee and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's funny though because I say that I was an introvert but I was also a dancer so on stage I was fine when it came to dancing but everything else I've always been the shy girl. I always surround myself with people who are big personalities um, I think because that meant I didn't have to speak. <laughs> so yeah I don't know I guess that's what I do. That's what do I've you still been. do that? Pardon? Do you still do that? Most of my friends are big personalities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not as much. I'm not as much of an introvert now. I still like my my alone time and all of that. But yeah, I, I probably still do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel after being in social situations? Is that when you feel like you need to come home and just be by yourself for a while? Yes, definitely. Especially um, in this like social media world where I have to go to events. Yep. Um. I love going to the events, but it really takes a toll on me, like on my emotions and takes me like a day or two to, to, to recover from it. I don't know. Like I just, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It's just what I do. Yeah. yeah. It's good for people to have an understanding of that though. Cause I think particularly when your world is in the public eye and, um, you know, there's a difference between speaking into a camera than speaking to a, a whole room full of people and just knowing that you need that time out to zone out to yourself. Is David an introvert, your husband? Mm, I don't think so. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Either. No, no, you know him. So yeah. no, I, I don't think he's an introvert. No. Um, He's not, you know, like we aren't people who, you know, throw big parties or, you know, always have to be around big groups of people and stuff. But I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's an introvert. Not yeah. like me. <laughs> um, but yeah, people always say, oh, how do you do social media if you're such an introvert? But it's strange, like it's just you on your phone most of the time. Yeah. So I can re-record my stories 10 times if I have to. Um, I can put my phone down whenever I want. You are in the public eye, but you also not at the same time yeah most of what I do on there is me at home alone you know with my kids or whatever like I'm yeah I'm still in my house and the men running around your house yeah Yeah. yeah, lots of men running around my house (laughs) (laughs) it's not a normal occurrence but I'm also very um just going back to the whole like being introvert and it's just I get really um intimidated by a lot of people like just in a space with a lot of people I feel really intimidated and that takes a lot out of me because I always overthink what I've said or mm-hmm. or what people are thinking of me I don't know it's just weird that's just what Why I do. Why do you think that is? I don't know I've always just been the same way um yeah. I think a lot of it, it has obviously it has to do with your with anxiety yeah yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's it. And you've been pretty open about your anxiety and and the journey that you've been on um when it comes to your mental health do you still suffer from anxiety on a regular basis or do you feel like you have it a lot more under control? Um, I think that you, if you have, if you have anxiety, like if you have diagnosed anxiety that I don't think that you ever really, I don't think you ever recover from it, but you definitely find ways to control it or to like manage it. Um, Mm -hmm. I still do suffer from it. Um, I'm not medicated anymore. And I think that, um, it does come back a lot more because, because of that, you know, like I don't have that, like, like even playing. Where, where I was on my medication I could I didn't have so many emotions um so how do you feel now with your anxiety do you feel like it's I mean you've been very open about your journey and how you experienced it um but is it an ongoing battle for you do you feel like it's much more under control now um it's definitely more under control than it was in the past um I have like a million ways to cope and you know deal with it I've done a lot of therapy and um 
for years and I have a lot of different coping mechanisms. But I think if you have anxiety, I think that it's not something that you ever get over. Kind yeah. of. Like it's not something that you can cure and it does come back. Um, especially like in the last year since having another baby, you know, the pressures that that puts on you mentally. Um, yeah, I still do struggle on and off. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And lack of sleep and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what are some of your coping mechanisms? Um, so I do things like meditation. Um, I know that sounds, you know, everyone says, oh, they meditate. But honestly, it's honestly been one of the biggest helps for me. Um, yeah. Even if it's just 10 minutes where I can meditate, um, even before I go to bed at night, that's what I've been doing lately because it's really the only time I've been getting. Um, I meditate. I Exercise is definitely my biggest. Yeah. Um, obviously, I talk about that a lot on my Instagram and that's why I actually started my Instagram. But um, yeah, having that outlet is huge for my mental health. And um, what else do I do? I journal. I have a journal that I write in. Even if it's not writing, I journal on my phone. Um, I guess you could say almost my Instagram is my journal as yeah. well. So um, I use that as a way to help me. Um, I have a psychologist. Um, I've seen her for many, many years. And before her, I had different psychologists. So yeah, I have heaps of different ways that I cope and manage and put, you know, even just simple things like putting down my phone and going for a walk or breathing techniques. Um, If it's like a panic situation, I have some different, you know, ways of coping with that as well. But yeah, it's just things that you learn over the years that you can implement into your life. Yep. And you've spoken before about um, taking a while to find somebody who fits with you from a professional perspective. Do you feel like you've found that now with your current psychologist? Definitely, yes. Oh my God, she's she's literally saved my life. Yeah, oh. totally. So um, it does take a long time. It can take, you know, any many people. It doesn't always have to, I guess. But yeah, I think that people go to the first person that they're handed to you know and they don't relate to them and then they go oh no psychology is not for me it doesn't work for me but yeah. it's just they haven't found the right person yet the right person is out there I promise yeah absolutely and it is oh it's like anything it's like a hairdresser it's trial and error and exactly yeah you've yeah. got to find someone that fits particularly when you're telling them really deep and dark stuff about you yeah and like you know um when you get referred to somebody your GP is usually a person that's referring you on to somebody and they don't really, you know, they've just got a list of people basically. They they probably haven't met with that person themselves or, you know, like if your GP is male and they refer you to another male um, psychologist, you might not feel as comfortable speaking to a male as you would with a female, you know. So, you just yeah, trial and error. Literally, that's all it is and yeah. you will find somebody if you, keep, if you keep at it. And it can be, it can take a bit of a toll on you feeling like you have to keep like churning through all these people but yeah, when you find the right person, it will change your life. So keep at it. Oh, I love that advice. Now, did you, you started your page um, not long after you had Millie and it was sort of an outlet for you. Did you always see yourself as a mum? No. Oh my God, no. <laughs> honestly, I, I didn't for so long. I honestly, if I really think about it and look deep within myself, I don't. I never thought that I was probably worthy of being a mum. I didn't feel like I could really offer anything to a child. Um, but that was just where I was in my own, with my own mental health and where I was with myself. Um, mm. And I just always thought that I'd be the person that would travel and maybe, you know, be more focused on my career. But it was probably more just because I was more scared of even thinking about that because I just felt like I wasn't a good role model to a child. Is that because you had a lot of um, 
obviously you had a lot of things mentally to process, but you struggled with an eating disorder as well. Do you think any of that came from a body image perspective? A hundred percent. Like I thought that's yeah, definitely where it came from. Just, I was so, so hard on myself for so long. And I just always would think like, if I, if I couldn't look after myself, how could I look after somebody else, you know? And um, it wasn't until I met David and um, I met my current psychologist who really helped me to have more respect for myself and yeah then as soon as I kind of met David things changed and I realized that yes I definitely did want to be a mum yeah maybe not at that exact time that we fell pregnant <laughs> um but yeah yeah so I didn't ever I wasn't the girl that was growing up I was like oh, I can't wait to get married and have kids it was more like I can't wait to get married and have an awesome career <laughs> yeah yep. yeah so. which is so funny now to look at you because you're such a great mum and your the, the girls are just your world so it's funny to say that that was never really something that you envisioned and it's awesome that now you have that um and yeah that all comes from a place of self-respect and acceptance I think because um yeah like without that self-love that self-respect I never would have wanted to have children because yeah I would only ever want to have children if I was a good role model so yeah yeah. which you are definitely which and I guess like now looking back on it um all those things would never have made me a bad mum anyway like just because I had an eating disorder or just because I did you know struggle with my body image that wouldn't have made me a bad mum it just at that time I didn't have respect for myself so yeah 100% I actually think in a sense sometimes it makes you a better mum because you're more conscious of what you've experienced and what you've gone through and you don't want that for your child 100% now I feel like I have such an open you know obviously talking about it on social media is one thing but I have such an open conversation with myself and everybody that I know about those type of things. And that's, you know, that's not going to be different with my children. So I think that they're going to grow up knowing all of those things about me and all the lessons that I learned through that. So I think that, yeah, now I realise it's a positive. Yeah. Um, all those things that I learned are lessons that they will know growing up. Particularly as girls too, because they're going to experience it all on their own. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you say that because when I fell pregnant with Millie, with Millie, all I was like hoping for was that I would have a boy because like I wasn't quite there yet, you know, like I yeah. was... I wasn't quite there yet with the self, self-respect that I probably should have had, especially when I got sick with, with my HG and that triggered my eating disorder patterns and things like that, you know. I was like, oh, God, I just hope I'm having a boy so that like, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to raise a daughter who could possibly mm. be like me. So, yep. yeah. But then as soon as I found out I was having a girl, I was like, oh, best thing ever. So. And she's just delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them are. But actually, let's touch more on that. So you had HG, and I'm going to call it HG. I don't know how to pronounce it. A lot of people think of morning sickness as, you know, you you have a vomit, you're a little bit sick here and there. It's very much in the movies. We show, you know, somebody throws up into a bucket, and that's how they know they're pregnant. Um, (laughs) That's what I thought it was, girlfriend. Like, I didn't know anything about, like, I didn't, you know, like I decided I wasn't, like, in that mind frame of, like, being a mum. The only thing I really knew about being pregnant was morning sickness was you know, throwing up in the bucket or throwing up in the bin at work and then you just get on with your day and that's what I thought it was, but it definitely was not, no. <laughs> well, it's funny, when I was pregnant with Peyton, that was what it was for me. I would yeah. eat, I would throw up, I would move on with my day. Yeah. Um, it was horrendous, but it was nothing like you've experienced and I think a lot of people underestimate what it can be like for people. So HG is pregnancy and morning sickness to the extreme so tell us a bit more about that yeah so I guess yeah it's like pregnancy sickness all day every day but yeah like I said to the extreme um it's you know losing weight rather than gaining weight it's 
hospitals, it's hospital admissions, IV drips of medication fluids, even feeding lines if you need them, you know, it's just, it's mentally and physically just takes an absolute massive toll on you. Um, Does it stop or is it every day? <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> it's every day. So um, a lot of, most people experience it. I shouldn't say most, yeah, actually, well, most people who experience HG. So it only really occurs in about 3% of pregnancies, Mm -hmm. HG, um, and of those 3%, mainly you recover from it between 16 to 20 weeks, and then you can go on and have a somewhat normal pregnancy. Um, If you've had severe HG that entire time, there can still be some complications throughout your pregnancy because of it. Um, But for me, it goes the entire time. And for some women it does too. So it's only a very small percentage of people that it continues the entire time for. So I'm just one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Yeah. One of the lucky ones (laughs) who was sick the whole time. Um, I mean, that's a huge imposition on your world and your life. Clearly you weren't able to work. No. So um, the first time I was managing one of our gyms and, yeah, I – couldn't work. I had four months off at the start and then I try. I kept trying to go back. Obviously owning the gyms, it was, you know, easier for me to come and a yep. bit easier for me to come and go. Um, because I just felt like I needed to do something. So some days mm. I try to go to work, but very rarely. <laughs> and by like thirty weeks, thirty yeah, I was off work again. So, you know, in that middle trimester, I was still really bad with when I was pregnant with Millie, but you do have like I did have a bit of a relief, like, you know, I just throw up 20 times rather than 50 times a day kind of thing, you know. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I think you'd learn to live with it a bit better throughout it. But, you know, most people who have it can't work. How is your social life affected by that? Because obviously you can't really see your friends or go and do what you would normally do, you know, go out for a coffee or go on a date night with your husband. What did that look like for you? Uh, look like me laying in bed for the entire time oh, yeah God. you know um I'm lucky that I have my friend Jazz who would bring things to me and come She's and visit me and lay on the lounge with me and I'm talking about yeah in this is in Millie's pregnancy where I didn't really know what was going on um yeah I didn't have social life not at all you know and you start to in a way resent people yeah <laughs> like you really do like I would resent the fact that I'd see people like doing things on my social media or even my husband, you know, or my partner at the time, he could get up and go to the gym and I'd be like, damn you, like, that's not fair yeah. kind of thing, you know, yeah. um, because he he could still live his life while I was living this absolute hell. Yeah, and it's funny because it takes two people to make a baby, but when you're the one lying in bed, it's it would be hard not to have that resentment. Yeah. Did Could you have sex? <laughs> Rarely. Poor David. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you didn't hear me ask that. <laughs> um, mainly just because you feel so fucking sick. Yeah. It's like the last thing in your mind, like, don't touch me. Kind yeah. of, yeah. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> How did that affect your relationship, you going through that? I think it actually brought us closer together, especially the first oh. time because we, we had only been together for, you know, just over a year. So, yeah, it definitely brought us closer together and feel like if anyone could help me through it was going to be David you know and he's so he's such a supportive person and I could and like I could see all he wanted to do was help me but there was nothing that he could do yeah yeah and second time with Remy you experienced it again but you were much more equipped to deal with it 
Definitely. I don't think you could ever be prepared for the hell that you're about to go through. Mm -hmm. But mentally, 100%, I was so much better the second time around because I knew it was coming. Um, And physically, I was better too because um, I just made myself eat. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the first time I didn't eat for like four and a half months, I lost 12 kilos. You know, like I was just this like ghost walking around. No one could tell me anything. I just, Dave would be like trying to make me to eat. If I just eat, you know, it doesn't matter if you throw it up. And I'd be like, no, I'm not eating, you know. And um, he would, you know, be like, let's go to the hospital. I'd be like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. I can't like just mainly because I physically couldn't get myself up to get to the hospital. Yeah. Whereas with Remy, I was like, I knew that I had just had to take myself to the ED when I needed to, like before I needed to. Probably that was the lesson that I learned to take myself before I was in, you know, complete despair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. Did you um, ever get concerned about what that was doing to her? Definitely with Millie. Like yeah. I really struggled a lot with that in my mind with Millie because I didn't understand it. And my OB kept saying to me, she's fine, you're not. And I was like, is he lying to me? You yeah. know, like how can she be okay? Like I'm so sick. Like I am so physically sick. You know, I was in hospital with a feeding line at one point. Um, when I was pregnant with Millie because I couldn't keep anything down. So I had to give me a nutrition line. So I was like, I think he's lying to me, like just to make me feel better Mm. and she's not going to be okay. But then she came out and she was this big, like chubby three and a half kilo baby. And I was like, okay, he was all right. So the second time around, I just, I had so much trust in him that Remy was going to be okay. And um, I was lucky enough to be in the private system so I could go and see him every week or two, um, and just, yeah, he'd just measure her every couple of weeks or every week if I wanted to. Whenever I wanted to, I could see her um, in his office. So Perfect. that was, yeah, a huge peace of mind for me, yeah. And when, as soon as you give birth, it's done? The nausea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just okay. insane, you know. Oh, it's just like this huge weight just gets lifted off your shoulders. And I had, obviously, I had two, um, I had two C-sections and... Those include, you know, some morphine and things like that. So you still feel a bit nauseous from that for a little while. But as soon as that wears off, that nausea, like that nausea you've been walking around with for like nine months is just like gone. And it, it's like, what the hell? Like, how can it just disappear that I quickly? Know. The first time, my same thing again, my OB kept saying, as soon as you have her, you won't feel like this anymore. I was like, he's lying to me. He's got to be <laughs> lying. Like, he, I, can't, I can't imagine that this sickness can just go away like that, but it does. Um, you can still have some other physical things left over which were caused by being sick for that long. But, yeah, the nausea is gone and the vomiting stops. Well, that's um, – and I've heard you mention before about, you know, your teeth and your organs are really affected by this. Do you still have issues, you know, left over from, t- I mean, two pregnancies of really rough HG? Um, the first time I ended up with gallstones and had to have my gallbladder removed afterwards. Oh. Um, so – and they say it was probably because I was so lacking in nutrients for that long. But, you know, some people do get gallstones anyway when they're pregnant. So, mm. yeah. Um, but I also had pancreatitis on top of that. So that was in between uh, Millie and Remy. But this time, no, not not really. Like, I still have some, like, you know, dental work that I need to get done. But other than that, not no, none of that is still ongoing for me this time. That's at least a good thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely, you've been through enough. I definitely looked after myself so much better this, like, the last time because I just knew that I had to, yep. particularly because I had Millie as well. Like, I couldn't just lay on the lounge and not eat for nine months, you know. I still yeah. had to get up and I still had to look after Millie, so I still had to look after myself in some way. How was your anxiety during that time? Because that's a lot of pressure 
for you when you're not feeling well to then feel like you have to, you know, look after a toddler. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty hard, especially the first few months with Millie. Yeah. Um, the second time when I had it, the first time it was just uh, I don't, like hell on earth, like yeah. depression, anxiety, sickness. I was just so confused, like this, yeah, you know, it's hard enough becoming a new mum or like even, you know, the first time you were pregnant, like I'm sure it's hard for everybody to even imagine what it's going to be like to be a mum, but then you have all of that on top of you as well. Yeah, it was definitely worse this first time. Second time, it was we were planning to have a baby, so like mm-hmm. I could prepare myself a bit more mentally, and I feel like I did. So yeah, yep. And you've um, you touched on before that you had seizures with both the girls, um, and they were both elective, weren't they? Yeah. Yep. And you've been quite open about your choice to do that. Where did that stem from? From my mental health. Yep. Yeah. Sense yep. of control. Or? Sense of control, definitely. Um, yeah, just. I can remember when I found out I was pregnant and I was like freaking out because I had this like really massive fear of birth and that was probably another reason why I didn't really want to be a mum because yeah. I was so scared of giving birth. I don't even know why. Like, Because it hurts. Yeah, I think it's just like <laughs> something to me that just seems so out of control. Yeah. Um, and so I just remember walking into my psychologist's office and being like, I want to have this baby, but I don't want to give birth. Like, what am I going to do? And she was like, oh, you can elect to have a C-section. And I was like, what? No one ever told me this. Like, what? What's going on? So she gave me, she referred me to her, um, to my OB who had worked with people who had some mental health issues. And yeah, he was like, sure, if that's what you want, let's do it. So I was like, that's one thing off my shoulders. I could, yeah. I don't and know. It sounds weird because I know that so many people don't, I like scared of the thought of having a cesarean. Mm. But for me, I felt like it was more controlled and more planned and that's why I wanted it um some other mental health things I've dealt with in the past and PTSD and stuff and that was yeah I don't know why it was a trigger for me and I just felt like I just needed to have control over that so I did it and I'm so glad that I did yeah yeah and look I think you know having that sense of control is huge when you're feeling anxious and you're at least you've got I'm gonna go in at this time this is what's happening you know the procedure you can learn about that exactly and looking back on it now I (laughs) I'm so glad that I made that decision before I before I went through an entire nine months of having HG and how sick I was because at 37 weeks I was in hospital and my OB just said to me I came out and I went to see him at his office and he was like, we can either keep you in uh, in hospital and we'll do the C-section in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, or we can just, you know, we can do it now. We can do it tomorrow oh. um, because Millie's ready to come. And I, I was just like, looking back on it now, I'm, like, I'm so glad I made that decision because I can't imagine going through all of that, being that sick and then having to go through labour and give birth that yeah. way because I was already just so tired. I was already so worn out. I was still so sick. And, you know, I'm still vomiting walking into the theatre to have a C-section. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad I made that decision for myself. And nobody from a professional perspective made you feel guilty about that decision? Um, (laughs) GPs, definitely. Ah. Um, They definitely like to make you feel bad about that decision. Midwives the first time, yes. Um, Afterwards, I'd be like, oh, why did you want to do this? Like, Like, you know, they would question me. Um, when I even when I was when I went and saw lactation consultants after like because on your like you know on your charts everything says elective c-section so they ask you why you had an elective c-section and I just told them because I chose to for my mental health and then they you know question you in that way um family That's so friends yeah That's so unfair 
Second time around because we've already had one, no one says anything because yeah. they just don't really, they can see it's your second, so they don't really ask about the first. So yeah. they just, yeah, no one said anything the second time. It just astounds me. I think that's probably what puts people off because, you know, as a new mum, it's daunting enough. But to have someone tell you, no, that's not the right decision for you, I think there's certain things that we need to push back on. So it's, it's actually really great that you've been so vocal about it because people need to know that it is a choice and it is completely up to you oh and what's God, best 100%, for you. Oh, my 100%, especially it's not worth your mental health to do something that is going to make you feel so out of control. You know, like I used to... Um, suffer from a panic disorder and I knew that that was going to be a trigger for me and I was like even my OB said to me you're better off to feel like you have that sense of control and not have a panic disorder a panic attack because if you have a panic attack your baby's going to be in distress and so mm. are you so like that's not going to be helpful for anybody and you could end up having a, a cesarean anyway if you're going to such a panic where you can't breathe you know everyone's in distress obviously like it's yeah. not going to be good for anybody so yeah it's my choice. It's my body. It's my baby. It's feel Absolutely. Like, yeah. that, that should be a slogan. Should make a bumper <laughs> sticker with that. <laughs> just for but, any you know, pregnant it goes woman. Both ways too. You know, like people. Yeah, I just feel like people should just have more choice over what they want and yeah. have more of a voice for themselves because at the end of the day, it is our body. So. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Speaking of your body. Um, you have experienced issues with eating disorders in the past. How did you find pregnancy in getting larger? Uh, I mean, you were sick, so you probably weren't as large as, you know, a well, lot of people. The second time I was but... a lot bigger, but um, yeah, it's funny. The first time I struggled, um, when I first found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh, my God, what's this going to do to my body? Like, am I going to be massive? Am I, you know, all these mm. things that I always put so much value on when I was younger um, but then it's funny because I was so small. Everyone kept asking me, why are you so small? You know, are you sure your baby's all right? All these things. And it's so funny because I had like two parts of my brain, one part of my brain, which is like my eating disorder kind of voice, I like to, well, I like to call it, um, would say to me like almost, oh, good on you, you know, this is, this is awesome. Good on you. You haven't put on any weight. Keep doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of me was like, oh, my God, is my baby okay? Yep. So it was like a fight between these two, two sides of me. Um, I don't think it matters whether you are bigger or smaller or whatever. Everyone has an opinion on you when you're pregnant. And mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I really just hope that that changes at some point because you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. You don't know that person. So having that opinion can be really hard on that person. Absolutely. It still astounds me how people feel the need to voice their opinion too when it comes to pregnancy or or anybody's body for that matter. Yeah, but, and like especially strangers. I think that was like the hardest when I was pregnant with Millie. Um it was the strangers who'd ask me, Oh, how far along are you? And I'd be like, Oh, you know, I'm eight months and I was, you know, barely showing or I was just, you know, so skinny or whatever. And they'd be like, Are you sure she's okay? And I'm like, You don't even know me, yeah. like Oh, maybe, and then I walk over, like, oh, maybe she's not okay. And then another part of me like, oh, that person thought I was still skinny. You know, like, just, it was yeah. just like so confusing for me as, as someone who was so sick, someone who had eating disorders in the past, someone who you know, had body image issues. It was really, it was confusing, yeah. How did, how did your body image change postpartum? It's so funny. As soon as I, like, as soon as I had Millie and I just, like, I held her in my arms and I was like, I just have to be a better person for you. Oh, <laughs> oh that just gave me goosebumps. Um, I had already done, you know, I've done a lot of 
therapy to overcome my eating disorder and I had I had some self-respect for myself but as soon as I had Millie I was like no nah, like this has to change you have to you just have to be a role model for her because yeah. you, she cannot grow up doing what you did to yourself and thinking what you thought of yourself for so long. So. Do you feel um, in a sense that she sort of saved you in that way? 100% yeah because I feel like no matter like Without her, I feel like I would have kept relapsing into my old thought pattern because no matter whether it was an eating disorder or if it was over-exercising or if it was, like, dieting or if it was meal prepping everything down to the, you know, the gram of what I ate, mm-hmm. I was always so obsessed with that part of my life, about my body and fitness and all of that. And as soon as I had her, it was almost freeing to be like, oh, I have something else I can, you yeah. know, I have somebody else to be a better person for. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. She definitely did. And even more so since I've had Remy, you know, there's two of them walking around, you know, not not both of them are walking yet, but, you know, they're both looking up to me. Floating around. Yeah, and I never, ever, ever want them to do what I did to myself, you know, so. Yeah, and you were very open after Remy as well about, um, you know, you did your your shot of a bikini, you on the beach and saying, you know, enjoy your bikini bodies. And I think that that stuff's really powerful because we do get really consumed of how quickly we can bounce back and, um, you know, what size we should be after a baby. And that's what everybody has an opinion on as well. Absolutely. And it's not just size, you know, like I'm still, I'm a size six. I've never really been anything else, size six to eight, but it doesn't matter what size you are. Like that's what I always try to get across people. It doesn't matter what size you are because it's not what somebody else perceives of you. It's what you perceive of yourself. Mm. And size is one thing, but there's so many other things that are going on in your head about what you're thinking about yourself. Um, yeah, so I, have, I feel like I have a responsibility to my audience to be 100% real with that kind of thing because I'm so passionate about it. And if I was to cover myself up and hide myself in that you know, in that vulnerable time of my life, I just feel like that's not being that's not being genuine because any other time I'd put a photo of myself in a bikini. Yeah. So why not then? Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the other things you spoke about, well, it was actually you and um, Chuck and Coops touched on DEMA, D-M-E-R. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce that either. Yeah, so um, I don't know how to exactly say the... I, I couldn't the find the technical, the technical term, but DEMA, and it, it relates to feelings with breastfeeding. Yeah, so it's um, actually the a release of a hormone when you are breastfeeding, when you have a letdown. It's meant to be a euphoric feeling, but it's actually like the complete opposite for some people. And for me, I would get an overwhelming sense of like this feeling of like doom was about to happen, like anxiety, doom, panic. Just And it only lasts for like a minute but it's just so overwhelming when it happens. Mm. Almost like you just go into this like bubble of like something bad is going to happen right now. It's really weird to explain, but yeah, it's a thing. It's, it's a real thing. And I think when you first experience, you're like, what's going on? Like, what is this? So I kind of did a bit more research into it. And yeah, Tegan, I remember Tegan speaking about it. So like I yeah, sent her a message and she, just so I could read her blog that she had in the past. And I was like, that's definitely what's happening to yeah. me. And yeah, I just don't think it's spoken about enough because it would be a massive reason why people stop breastfeeding. I can 100% understand why people would stop when they have those feelings. Did you get it with Millie and Remy? I don't really so much remember getting it with Millie, um, mm. but with Millie I was so so consumed with trying to make her breastfeed and she didn't like breastfeeding. Um, mm. And maybe I did, maybe that was part of the reason. I, I don't really remember that 
exact feeling, but <laughs> um, Remy like loves to breastfeed. So it was like I was almost sitting there in this like really comfortable position, but I'd still get this like overwhelming feeling. Whereas with Millie, she would kind of be like coming on and off, on and off, hated that like she didn't want to attach. So I didn't, I don't remember having the feeling as much. No. Yeah. Did you speak to anybody about it in terms of a professional? Um, I quickly spoke to a, a to my um, lactation consultant about it, and mm-hmm. she said it's not. You know, she said it happens, but it's really quite rare. So I have spoken to my psychologist about the feelings that I get when it happens. Um, but she's not a professional in that area, but she just helps me to kind of um, like think about it in a more rational way, you know, and yep. I, that's what I've kind of done. So when it happens, I just kind of sit there and I just think it's just a feeling, it's not real, it's just a feeling, it's not real, you know, this is going to pass, and it does, it does, and then I'm yep. fine again. It's really strange, really strange. I think it's it's certainly something really important to speak about though because it's it's like with anything breastfeeding we just assume that it's easy which it's not breastfeeding is bloody hard yeah and feeling like that can be you know somebody can really be deterred by that and think that it's just them oh my god I can't even tell you how many women have contacted me since I spoke about it saying this definitely happened to me I didn't know it was a real thing it's the reason why I stopped breastfeeding because couldn't get past it and they're like if I knew it was a real thing I probably could have you know kept going or Mm. um, they thank me for speaking about it because since they've spoken to like a lactation consultant about it or they've spoken to their doctor or they've gotten some help and they've been able to push through and keep feeding so yeah it's just like you said with anything when people start speaking about it it becomes more normalized so yeah you don't feel like you're so alone in it definitely and you continued because you're still breastfeeding Remy now yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> um and I have don't really have a plan to stop because she's a boob machine and <laughs> it's been great for me for our bond I feel like yeah I never really understood when people would say oh it's such a great way to bond with your baby I just I didn't get it because I did not get that with Millie because yeah. she just hated it um you know, it was almost like it was harder for me to bond with Millie because of that experience. So when I had this totally new experience with Remy, who is just like a boob, boob machine, <laughs> I've just found it has been so nice for us. Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. I've found it a lot easier. Personally, I found it easier to bond with her because we have so much time just sitting there together doing mm. that. So yeah, it's nice. I love it. Oh, it's the sweetest. Now, how would you overall, how would you explain your relationship with your mind and body now compared to, say, three years ago? Three years ago, maybe like five years ago, pre 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 Millie, yeah. yeah, yeah, like just black and white, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, if I was, if I looked at myself now when I was hating myself that much, I'd be like, there's no way I could ever love myself with with all those stretch marks and those scars and you know that loose skin and those saggy boobs and all that kind of stuff. I'd be like, oh my god, I never want that. But now I'm just like, just who I am. Yeah. And it really doesn't define me as a person at all. So there's so much more to me than that. That's the, oh, I love that. I love that. That's so powerful because it is. And I think it takes us as women, it takes such a long time to get to that point. Do you still pull yourself apart when you look at yourself in the mirror? Of course. And I think that that's something that people don't understand when we speak about um, body image and self-love and everything that we do speak about. It doesn't mean that you don't have those thoughts sometimes. Mm. It doesn't mean that... You, lo- you know, you wake up every morning and go, oh, my God, I love myself. Look at me. <laughs> I'm the best thing that ever happened. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's honestly not. It's just more that you have so much more respect for yourself and yeah. your body. Like, I just have so much respect for my body 
for what it's been able to achieve to give me two children, you know, and that's that's amazing. Like, mm. I just, I'm honestly just so in awe of the female body now that I've had children because I'm like, we just make humans. Like, <laughs> aren't we amazing? And what our body looks like after that, who gives a shit, you yeah. know? It doesn't, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. 100%. If only we know, we knew then what we know now. I think that's a huge thing. How do you think it will affect your parenting with the girls going through what you've gone through with your own body image? Uh, positively, because I just feel like I can, I'll be able to pick up on, I hope that I can pick up on the signs um, of them doing the things that I used to do or thinking the things I used to think or, you know, um, maybe seeing some patterns if they're there. And also I just feel like they're going to grow up we're always going to have an open conversation mm-hmm. about the way that we feel about our bodies and having respect for our bodies for what they can do for us rather than the way that they look. So hopefully that in turn means that they have more respect for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Is that why you started your program, Move Mama? In, I guess in a way, but that's kind of a whole different thing is more just, yes, I guess, but also safe exercise after a baby um, is really important. I think that social media and I think that media in general put like portray this image of that you have to go back to the gym you have to smash yourself so you have to get your body back you have mm. to do you have to do that but you should be doing a lot of the things that they that you did before there's you know you should be progressing into or progressing back to what you did before you know not just throwing yourself straight into the gym and smashing your body because it's not going to benefit you long term yeah and it's definitely a journey not a race and I think that's the one thing we need to remember is not to put that pressure on ourselves do you find like exercise is still a strong outlet for you 100% it always will be yeah definitely yeah Yeah. especially now that I respect exercise in a way that is um, not just physical but mentally as well when I was younger I used exercise as a way to absolutely thrash my body to Mm -hmm. hopefully look a certain way or to feel a certain way but it never gave me that because it was never going to be good enough because I hadn't worked on myself mentally. Yeah. Whereas now I have a respect for exercise because I know, one, that it's going to make me physically feel better, um, like be able to function better, you know, picking up my kids, running around after them, just living life, you know, yeah. but also how it makes me feel mentally. I have so much more respect for it now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to body image, obviously it is something that we all struggle with. What would be your advice to anybody who is questioning the way that they look or really finding it hard to break away from those negative patterns? I guess it depends how deeply it is. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, it depends how deep it is, like, stemmed in with you, like, within you because there's... I think that everybody's going to feel a certain way about their bodies. Like I said, we, you don't wake up loving yourself every single day in the way that you look, but if it's really like affecting your life, if it's controlling a part of your life, if it's affecting the way that you eat, um, anything like that, that you just have to get some professional help mm. because if it's controlling your life, you need to like do something about it, definitely. Mm. If it's just more you know, superficial, like sometimes you wake up and... You don't like what you see in the mirror. I think there's things you can do yourself. But if it's if it's deep within you and it's controlling you, definitely get some help. Yep, absolutely. I think we need to stop comparing ourselves is, is the main thing. You know, social media is a great outlet for voices like yours who talk about that body positivity. But it's also can be damaging if you're following the wrong people because... Oh, 100%. <laughs> half of them don't look like the way they look on screen. Exactly, like... 
filters and Photoshop and all of those things that exist that you don't even realize exist. Like I watched a, somebody put up a video of them like editing a photo of themselves to make themselves skinnier and no marks on their body and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like people do that. Like mm. I, I know that they do it, but like then you see somebody like, you know, doing it and you're like, wow, it's just right there at the, you know, at the tip of your fingers. Anybody could do it. So you sh- like, you just can't believe anything that you see. And even if you do believe what you see, if it is real, if you are comparing yourself to somebody else, just stop. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not them and they're not you. So you yeah. have two different lives, two different situations, you know. And the problem is that most of the time people are comparing themselves to people who have built themselves on looking a certain way, you know. Mm. Or they have all the time in the world to they own health and fitness businesses and that's you know that is what they've built their whole career on so they do look a certain way but that's not your life yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and it astounds me when people do that photoshop and whatnot because if someone sees you in real life they don't know you don't look like that (laughs) that would just be awkward for everyone but I I actually also like I look at that and I just I honestly feel so I feel so sad for that person because there's a reason why they're doing it. They're obviously not happy with themselves. They haven't looked inwards and haven't taken the time to actually find self-respect because if they did, they wouldn't feel the need to do that. Mm. So, yeah, don't compare yourself to somebody like that anyway because they've obviously got things going on in their own life if they're going to be doing that. Yeah. I actually remember listening to an interview with Roxy Jasenko and she said that, you know, when she was at her tiniest, she was miserable and she was not being healthy and everybody celebrated it. So it was almost like encouraging her to be that way. And I think that's scary as well, because as a culture, we promote that. Absolutely. That's why, like, I think when people bounce back from birth and people celebrate it so much, Mm. it's hard because the next person wants wants to be celebrated too and they want to everyone to you know celebrate them just as much so they think that that's what they need to do to be celebrated but I can tell you like when I shared all the photos of myself straight after birth you know in all my postpartum glory everybody celebrated anyway because they were like ah finally it's real you know that's that's what I looked like too or oh you know you don't have they they realized it didn't have to be this perfect bounce back you know back in your bikini, looking with a six-pack straight away. So I think we can still celebrate both ways. And I feel like there is a change. I feel like people are celebrating all body types. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Now, before I wrap up and let you go, um, I am a huge advocate of making sure that you keep in touch with yourself, uh, the person that you were before you were a mum, because you are still a person and it's very easy to get caught up in motherhood. What is, um, and I like to call it the me before mummy. So what is one thing that you do to reconnect with Brit pre-kids? Exercise still. Exercise, (laughs) yeah. Definitely, that's my time every day where I... I go to the gym and I put Remy in the creche and Millie's at daycare or they're both in the creche and it's just me, you know, it's just, I still feel like who I was before, although sometimes I'm like, can't do what I used to, I'm like, damn it, they're still here with me, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, like that's definitely my outlet and I'll, that's always my thing that I, I do to feel like me still. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think we've got to make sure that we take that time and not feel guilty because an hour out of your day where the kids are happy and distracted, you know, even if they cry when you put them in creche, they're usually fine by the second that you go. But it's important to look after yourself. Um, Any more babies for you? Oh, my God. (laughs) I would love one more, but I'm so 
I'm so torn because I just like HD takes that you know takes that year out of my life basically yeah. and I don't know that I can do it without sorry with having two kids running around so I just don't know it's a lot for everyone around you as well you know yeah. you feel like you're missing out and then David has to sit there and watch you suffer and the kids have to watch you as well exactly and I really struggled with Millie watching me suffer in that way she would always be like what's wrong with mummy like oh what's the baby doing to mummy so yeah oh, I don't little know. terrorist <laughs> yeah. <attacking my> mom. <laughs> so yeah I don't know I don't know We'll see. Watch this space. To be continued. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you are an absolute delight to watch on Instagram and obviously in person while I'm in your house. Um, but we look forward to all of the great things that you have to come and we're very excited to see what's in store for you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, what did I tell you? We well and truly covered it all from anxiety to HG, elective C-sections, body image, Brit, bed all on all of those raw topics that quite frankly, we just don't touch on enough. So a few things that I took away from our conversation uh, is firstly around pregnancy. Everybody experiences pregnancy so differently. And it's really important unless you've been through it yourself, uh, for example, something like HG, to ensure that you don't belittle someone and their own symptoms. Morning sickness, nausea, tiredness, it can be so different for everybody. And it's really important to realize that your body is different to somebody else's. And there can be real medical consequences for somebody who's going through pregnancy. So make sure that you're conscious of that next time you decide that you want to make a comment. Now, as for anxiety and mental health, I think that Britt touched on something really important, and that's that it's a journey. You're never going to find the answers straight away, and it's all about what finding what works for you. That means professional help. That means coping mechanisms, absolutely everything. You're not always going to find a solution straight away, but just make sure that you stick with it and find something that helps yourself, regardless of what that looks like to anybody else. Now, in terms of motherhood, it is also a journey. Things aren't always going to be perfect. They're not always going to be what they seem. And sometimes it's tough. It's really tough. And there's a lot of things to deal with, including your birth journey, including lots of things that you maybe didn't expect. Motherhood is tough. Breastfeeding is tough. And the evolution of becoming a mother can also be tough. So just make sure you take it day by day and don't be too hard on yourself. And lastly, body image. Now, this is something we've touched on before, and I think that it's something that's going to be a resounding theme through the podcast because I don't think we ever grow out of this, particularly when we go through the process of having a child. It does change your body and it can change your mindset, both for good and for bad. But it's important to remember that key message that you're more than your body. Nobody's perfect. Nobody needs you to be it's just what you live in. So it's more than beneficial to find a way to get comfortable with that and allow yourself to thrive. 
Now, as you can see from today's conversation, one of my favorite things about Brit is her openness and honesty when it comes to everything. She doesn't just talk about one thing. She doesn't sugarcoat things. She has a really brilliant way of articulating the feelings, the emotions, everything that goes on when you're experiencing these things, both through motherhood and in life. So if you want to follow more of Brit's journey, you can find her over on Instagram at by Brittany Noonan, where you'll also find links to her blog and the Move Mama program. She's doing some amazing things in this space, so if you haven't connected with her already, I strongly suggest that you do so. Now, as you know, this is normally the part of the podcast where I move into the Me Before Mummy section, and I share with you what one of you guys has done through the week to reconnect with themselves. But this week, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And the reason is I've had a couple of questions this week really asking me what it is and where it stems from. So instead of sharing a normal The Me Before Mummy, I'm going to share with you something that I wrote a few months ago when I first decided that I wanted to incorporate and highlight this a little more to get it out in the open. It goes a little something like this. Admit it. You've thought about who she was what she did, how she looked, how she spent her time. Perhaps she was the girl who got dressed up on a Friday night, hair done, makeup flawless, out until closing, making waves on the dance floor and not thinking twice about the consequence of that third tequila shot. Perhaps she was the quiet type, lusting more for lazy nights on the couch with a cup of tea and a good book, appreciating the silence and allowing herself to get lost in the words of each page, so immersed that time was of no relevance. Her world revolved around her and she invested in herself because she had no reason not to. No one was telling her that she didn't deserve to or that she had more pressing priorities. She had dreams, she had goals, she still does. But things have changed and perhaps those dreams have been pushed back. The goals have shifted and she's more focused on everyone else than she is herself. But she matters. She's important. She is still her. It's sad that perhaps her light has started to dim because of those expectations. Maybe they come from her friends and family. Maybe they come from society. Maybe they're all in her head. But one thing is for sure, they are unwarranted and they are unfair. She is allowed to be who she once was, to pursue her dreams, to tear up the dance floor, to lose herself in a good book, and the only difference now is that she has to plan for it. It may not be as often. She may not be able to justify the price like she used to, and her tastes, well, they may have changed. But she still needs it now just as she did then, if not more. Listen to me when I tell you that you haven't lost her. She's just hidden, covered in responsibility, guilt, and pressure. She feels like she couldn't make an appearance. But she's in there. She's allowed to come out. She deserves to. So don't hold her back. Please don't. You were me. Now you're mummy. But it's not an ultimatum. You can be both. So I hope that gives you an understanding of where this movement stems from. It's about reconnecting with the person that you were before you had kids. And it doesn't have to be something dramatic. It can be getting your nails done, going for a walk, taking some time to read a book. It can be five minutes or five hours, but it's all about making sure you take that time for yourself. Even in the quiet moments, it doesn't need to be with a babysitter. It doesn't need to be for a whole weekend. It's about recognizing that you deserve to put yourself first, at least every now and then. 
So if you want to join in, you can post a story or a photo on Instagram, use the hashtag themebeforemummy and tag myself at mummyrepublic so that you can share with other mums what it is that you do to reconnect with yourself and potentially get a shout out on next week's episode. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.